Hello and welcome to the First Day in Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. And folks, we are back with another great episode for you guys today. We've got so much news and just crazy football stuff going on to break down for you guys. And I'm joined by none other than my co-host, Logan. Logan, how are we doing today, man? Doing good. Feeling like TMZ of the football world right now. Oh my goodness, man. It was like after the Brian Harson news broke that Auburn fired their head coach, then we get probably the most eventful NFL trade deadline that I've seen since I started following the NFL. I mean, it's just been absolutely nuts. And then you get this news with Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders today. Absolute craziness. But let's start with the Auburn news. The Auburn Tigers fired their football coach, Brian Harson, who in a little less than two seasons with the program went 9-12 and 12 as a head coach, coached 21 games there. And you're probably thinking – you gave up on him that easy. You know, he was a very well, you know, well-respected coach at Boise state had a nice tenure when he was with the Broncos out there, but his tenure with Auburn was tumultuous to say the least back in February, Auburn was already investigating, you know, his handling of the program and whether or not they were going to stick with them. They stuck with them and the Tigers have a losing record this year, this off season, he had 19 players enter the transfer portal lost six assistant coaches, including naming an offensive coordinator and that guy leaving within, I believe, what was it, six weeks that the OC was there? I mean, just absolute craziness. So Auburn moves on from him. They name former standout running back, guy who, you know, made his hay with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFL, Carnell Cadillac Williams is their interim head coach. Very well-known name. He had a great career there at Auburn. But we got to talk about who could replace Brian Harson as the head coach of Auburn. Obviously, Carnell Williams, the interim coach, not really sure if that's, you know, a viable option as a head coach. And if you look at Auburn, they've had guys like Gus Malzahn there who had a lot of success. Gene Chizik was there before Gus. So Auburn's got a nice little history there. One name that, you know, you and I were talking you brought up Bill O'Brien, and I told you one name to watch out for is Dion Sanders. Dion has done some mightily impressive things at Jackson State in, you know, a very short amount of time. He got the number one recruit in the country, Travis Hunter, to commit there, you know, flipping from Florida State going to Jackson State. His four-star quarterback son, Shador Sanders, is at Jackson State doing big things. Dion's able to recruit really well. He's a big name, and he's producing on the field. I wouldn't be surprised if Deion Sanders got looks. You brought up Bill O'Brien, though, and, you know, Bill O'Brien, current offensive coordinator of Alabama. Why do you think Bill O'Brien could be a name that we see at Auburn? I mean, you got somebody as well experienced as Bill O'Brien. It's never it's never a bad option. And, I mean, you want to look at the head coach manufacturer that Nick Saban is. I mean, just look at the multitude of guys that have coming out of Alabama as offensive and defensive coordinators and have fit right into head coaching positions at top schools around the country, you know. I mean, people go to Nick Saban to be a coordinator just to rebound, you know. Um, and I don't think that's no exception with Bill O'Brien. I think he's definitely looking for a head coaching gig. Um, and this is one that's open, and it's a big one. But I'm not opposed to Deion Sanders. Um, if you put Deion Sanders as the head coach at Auburn, Auburn's going to be really good. I mean, you got a charismatic young head coach, well, younger compared to some, um, who can – obviously recruit anyone in the country you know I mean who doesn't want to play for Deion Sanders so I think both are good options um the only thing the Deion one is I don't know if that's the one job he's gonna bite at or not you know I mean if Mike Norvell and Florida State I mean it looked like Florida State was getting better and they've kind of taken a couple steps back if Mike Norvell was to not be at Florida State long term maybe Deion would have some interest in going and coaching at his alma mater but I think Dion is a competitor. Dion's the ultimate competitor. We know the story of him playing at an NFL game and suiting up for a baseball game in the same day when Dion was a two-sport athlete in the NFL and MLB. And I think if you're the ultimate competitor as a head coach at the collegiate level, you want to coach in the SEC. And if Dion's going to leave Jackson State, where he is slowly building, you know, a really, you know, kind of powerhouse FCS, you know, program. I think he's going to do it for a premier SEC job. And what's bigger than Auburn? I mean, you're not going to get the Alabama job. That's not happening. Nick Saban will have that until he decides he doesn't want it. 
Brian Kelly has quickly, you know, put himself in a position to have that LSU job for the time being. I've heard some people say would Lane Kiffin leave Ole Miss to go to Auburn, which makes zero sense to me. I mean, to me, Auburn and Ole Miss are on the same playing field. It, It would be a lateral move. And at that point, it makes zero sense. You know, if you're looking at like, mid-major or smaller school current head coaches you know Lance Leipold from Kansas is just going to be a hot name this entire offseason obviously Matt Campbell the Iowa State head coach is always a hot name when bigger jobs become open but Dion's kind of the the guy I like you know the other name I would think about and this would hurt me as an Ohio State fan but what does Brian Hartline's name start to come up as a head coach? I know that the you know for Brian Hartline, it's not all about money. He obviously had a nice NFL career, and Ohio State's paying him nice enough to be the wide receivers coach there. Brian Hartline's from Ohio, played at Ohio State, so he's getting to raise his family close to home. But if he wants to move up the ranks, he could quickly slide into an SEC-level head coaching job. And again, talking about recruiting, Brian Hartline's probably one of the best recruiters in the country with what he's able to do with the wide receiver position. I saw um, a stat, a former walk-on wide receiver at Ohio State. His name's slipping my mind right now. He's currently playing at Ohio University, and all he's done is caught like 50 passes for almost 600 yards and seven touchdowns so far this year. And that was a walk-on at Ohio State. Couldn't even dress special teams. So that's how good Brian Hartline is at recruiting guys. Is there any chance that Auburn goes and poaches an assistant from a team like Ohio State or Alabama? Um, I think they'll definitely poach an assistant, but I don't think Brian Hartline's a guy. I think he's a true and true Ohio guy. Um, I think they have a better shot at Deion Sanders because I don't think Brian Hartline's expressed that kind of interest, you know, to take a gig like that. I mean, you never know. I mean, his ambition might change to what he wants to do. Um, But from everything I've ever read about Brian Hartline and heard about Brian Hartline, he loves what he does now. He's very comfortable there. He's in his home state, you know, with his family around him. Um, and, I mean, what more could you want, you know? I mean, I guess he could go for the bigger spotlight, um, be the head coach of an SEC team, but I just don't see that. But, yeah, he's definitely probably the best recruiter, if not, I mean, the top three conversation, you know. We alluded to, as well, the crazy trade deadline that happened in the NFL. We, we saw – some big names move. We saw Christian McCaffrey obviously already move from the Panther 49ers. Um, th- there was a lot of things that happened on Tuesday. I'm going to start with Chase Claypool because that was the one that, you know, we had heard was going to happen. We had heard rumors that the Packers were interested. Well, Chase Claypool ends up landing with the Chicago Bears and the Bears give up a set. The Packers were pursuing Claypool very hard and the Packers actually made the same offer to the Steelers before the Bears made it, the Packers offered a second round pick first, but the Steelers chose to go with the Chicago Bears offer because they think the Bears will end up finishing with a worse record. Therefore, that second round pick will be a earlier pick. I want to start with, do you think Claypool to the Bears helps to fix Justin Fields at all this year? Well, I think we'll see, but the bigger question um, I have in mind is, are they doing this for Justin Fields or are they doing this for the future Mr. Quarterback of whoever they may draft? You know, I mean, I know a lot of people are alluding, oh, they're just they're going to take another quarterback this year. Justin Fields isn't the guy. Well, if that's true, are they just trying to build up that arsenal of weapons on offense for whoever this future quarterback may be? Um, I could see that being why they did this, because, I mean, they did trade a hefty pick for Claypool, but he's a good young talent, um, somebody that can be then in that franchise for a long time. So I thought it was a good trade. Um, but I, I do think it helps Justin Fields out this year because now you got Claypool and you got Darnell Mooney. Um, so at least you have two guys you can throw the ball to. Um, and the last few weeks, their offense has, I mean, they, they've offense has been producing at least better than what we've seen. Um, doesn't help that they've kind of traded away some of their stars on defense. So now you're going to see a slack in that. And that's what you saw a slack against the Cowboys was the Cowboys were able to put up points um, and the Bears just couldn't keep up offensively. You know, 
Obviously, I'm happy that the Bears got Justin Fields any help at the wide receiver position. Darnell Mooney is, you know, he's a good wide receiver, but he's not a wide receiver number one. And when Justin Fields' other options are guys like Equinemius St. Brown and Dante Pettis, it's just not pretty. So Claypool is an upgrade at the wide receiver position, but I don't know if he fits Justin Fields' playing style as much. Claypool is more of a big body contested catch wide receiver who doesn't separate as well on his routes. He doesn't do as good enough you know, job, you know, creating separations. He's more of a contested catch guy. I think because of how bad the tackle position is for the Bears and how slow Justin Fields is at reading defenses, I would have rather seen them get a wide receiver who maybe creates a little more separation and is a little bit better of a route runner. And I say all that to say there was a guy in Houston who was available in Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks did not get traded. The Texans chose to hold on to him. And I kind of feel like, you know, if I'm Chicago, I would have at least called on Brandon Cooks because I, I feel Brandon Cooks fits what Justin Fields' playing style is a little bit better than Chase Claypool does. Do you think, though, I mean, I know the Steelers, I mean, I saw they used Claypool a little bit different this year than I expected. I, I was a little questioned at first, but sometimes it worked out. You know, they use Claypool on these jet sweeps and in the backfield. I mean, that could be something they're looking and they really liked on film or something. Maybe they're going to come up with a different scheme on offense to uh, – help Justin Fields because Justin Fields is probably one of the more athletic quarterbacks in the league. Um, so if you have some kind of threat like that, where you have multiple options where you're not just throwing the ball, but you could run it either way with multiple guys, you know, um, and a solid running back room for the most part, you know, when healthy. So that's just a thought I'd had. I mean, I don't know. I think there's a lot of things you can do with Claypool. Um, and Justin Fields does have that beautiful deep ball, you know, he, he can let the cannon go. Um, so maybe that's something they're looking to do as well and have that deep threat target who uh, can go up and make a catch. Well, you know, and you brought up with the Bears that they it wasn't just, you know, the Claypool trade that they made. Obviously, we talked about earlier them trading Robert Quinn to the Eagles for a middle round pick. But there was another defensive start on that defense that the Bears ended up trading away, and that's linebacker Roquan Smith. You know, there was a lot of rumors flying around in the offseason that the Bears were going to deal Smith after they dealt Khalil Mack in the offseason because, you know, the Bears were unable to come to a long-term extension agreement with Roquan Smith. And I've seen a few people say, why are you trading away Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, and Roquan Smith, but then you're going to give up a second-round pick for Chase Claypool? I don't think the Bears are tanking with these moves. I think the Bears understood that they were not going to be able to get a long-term agreement done with Roquan Smith. And so they understood if we don't trade him now, we're never going to trade. You know, we're not going to get anything out of him. We might get a compensatory pick. So I understand why the Bears gave up, Smith. You brought up, could the Bears be doing this for a future quarterback? And that's an interesting stance to take. I think if the Bears were losing more, I would agree with it. The problem is, is the Bears have teams like Pittsburgh and Houston who just can't get out of their own way. And then now you have Detroit who just fired their offensive coordinator well, no, my bad. Indianapolis fired their offensive coordinator. Detroit fired a different coordinator. So many guys getting fired and traded. It's hard to keep track of. But uh, you, you've got so many teams in front of Chicago. I'm just not sure that this, that the Bears have an option other than to stick with Justin Fields for one more year. I will say this about what the Bears did at the trade deadline. I understand that they purged the defense and Roquan to Baltimore. I like it a lot. It, to me, it tells me that Baltimore's given up on Patrick Queen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I, I just – I'm sorry to me getting the elite linebacker was not Baltimore's number one priority. I understand Patrick Queen's not playing great for them, and I understand the defense has been, a, you know, a letdown late in games, but Baltimore's got bigger issues than a linebacker, in my opinion. I will say the one thing the Bears did that I liked is they finally said, Justin Fields, we understand you need help, and we're going to try our best. Like I said, I would have rather seen him get Brandon Cooks, but, you know, all things considered, Claypool, not a bad option. Some of the other trades we saw, though, we saw Bradley Chubb on the move. The Denver Broncos trade Bradley Chubb to the Miami Dolphins. The Broncos trade Chubb in a fifth-round pick to the Dolphins for a fourth-round pick and a first-round pick and running back Chase Edmonds. That... That running back being thrown in there was a little surprising to me. That tells me maybe the Broncos aren't as happy with the combination of Latavius Murray and Melvin Gordon as their running back. What did you think, though, of the Dolphins landing Bradley Chubb as their you know premier pass rusher now? 
I mean, I thought it was a big ad, you know. I mean, you got a team who you got plenty of talent on offense, but, you know, you, you can always get better on defense. Um, and they do have a pretty good secondary. So to kind of just pat on their defense a little bit and um, help them out, I think is always good. Because, I mean, if you're trying to make a deep playoff run, you know, um, the more depth you have and the more talent, the better off you're going to be. You know, and I think this may help second-year pro Jalen Phillips a lot. Jalen Phillips had eight and a half sacks as a rookie. You know, I think now having a guy like Bradley Chubb opposite of him would be huge. So I like the move a lot from a Dolphins standpoint. From a Broncos standpoint, I'm a little bit perplexed because you just paid Russell Wilson all this money. You just paid Randy Gregory a ton of money in the offseason. And so I'm a little bit perplexed at what the Broncos are doing. You know, the Dolphins also made another trade. You know, they give up Chase Edmonds at running back, but then they go and get Mike McDaniel, another weapon that he's familiar with and running back Jeff Wilson from the 49ers, which Jeff Wilson is kind of like a, you know, dynasty fantasy, like folklore. People who play dynasty fantasy have loved Jeff Wilson forever. Obviously, there's no need for him out in San Francisco anymore with Christian McCaffrey being there. So now Jeff Wilson gets a fresh start in Miami in a similar offense that Mike McDaniel obviously was familiar with, with his time in San Francisco. I really think Miami, you know, I saw this graphic of what Miami was able to do with the Trey Lance picks and, you know, they traded, you know, a bunch of picks to allow the 49ers to draft Trey Lance. And all they did was turn that into guys like Tyreek Hill and Bradley Chubb. I am thoroughly impressed with what the Miami front office is doing right now. You know, I would agree. And I was going to bring that up too. You know, you, uh, they did acquire all those picks, and I kind of forgot about how many they did. And, uh, I mean, I think they're pretty sold on what they got. You know, I think this year we, going in was uh, was time for two to prove. You know, he's got no other excuses. Um, so they must be very confident because they've traded away a lot of picks. So the future of what they can draft is going to be pretty slim for the next couple of years. So what they have is what they have to work with. Although I think it can help them out because you got a young charisma coach like Mike McDaniel. You know, guys will come and play for him you know it's not going to be a struggle for agency as long as the money is there uh, I don't think there's going to be too much uh convincing to get guys to go to Miami versus like maybe a Jacksonville where you might have to overplay guys pay guys to go there um so I think that's one benefit they have and they might be banking on but yeah their, their future drafts uh picks are starting to get slimmer and slimmer here you know they went into this season having two first round picks they now have zero they lost one because of the Sean Payton, Tom Brady tampering investigation where it was alleged. And then, you know, there was evidence found that they were trying to get Brady and Payton together all the way back in like 2020. Um, So they lost a first round pick from that. Now they've traded one away for Bradley Chubb. So you're hundred percent right. They are all in on Tua Tagovailoa at the quarterback position, which we'll see how it pays off right now. He looks great, but he's also got the benefit of Jalen Waddle and Tyree kill. Give it a couple of years and see them have to try and pay Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and Tua and see if Tua continues to look that good. Talking about another trade, and this was, you know, in my opinion, the trade that got you more hyped than any other trade, and that is the trade of my boy TJ Hawkinson, the former Detroit Lion. The Lions trade their stud tight end to their divisional rival, the Minnesota Vikings, and they trade the Lions give up Hawkinson in a fourth round pick to only get a second round pick back. I've got two things with this. For one, the fact that you had to give up Hawkinson and a fourth to get a second round pick, I'm not liking already. Two, the facts that you did this to your divisional rival, knowing that the Vikings wanted TJ Hawkinson because as soon as they got Hawkinson, they placed their starting tight end, Irv Smith Jr., on IR with an ankle sprain, people are saying it could be eight to 10 weeks before he's back. So the Vikings offense now looks Kirk Cousins at quarterback, Dalvin Cook at running back. You've got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and TJ Hawkinson at tight end. You have to be grinning ear to ear with this Vikings preseason NFC North pick. How are you feeling right now? Well, Toby, you know, many of uh, right picks with you, you know, it was a great preview of the season. And we're just continuing that with this Vikings here. Uh, I will correct you that they get a second and third round pick. The third round pick is for the 2024 draft. Um, but this is telling me a couple of things. One, the Lions are kind of giving up. 
it's kind of confusing. If you're a Detroit fan, you got to be, be a little mad, you know. You got some young guys like uh, St. Brown. You got TJ Hawkinson. You got uh, DeAndre Swift. I mean, you got some young talent on this team, Jamal Williams. But – and you go out and trade one of the cornerstone guys that could have been part of this rebuild that you're doing. I, I'm just confused on what they're seeing. I mean, I, I don't know what they're going to gain from the second-round pick that they couldn't get out of TJ Hawkinson, but – um, no, the Vikings are just securing what is going to be obvious at this point is a divisional win of the whole division and hopefully a deep playoff run from them. I mean, they got enough talent on that offense to give anyone issues. You know, it's going to be hard to cover all those guys. Um, and they're deep too, you know. I, I, you know, you brought up a good point with the Detroit Lions. The Hawkinson trade's a bit confusing when you think about the young talent. and You left out a piece on that offense. The number 12 overall pick in this draft, Jamison Williams, is yet to suit up for them. You have Jamison Williams, who, you know, we're assuming and hoping he comes back fully healthy from, you know, the torn ACL. And him and Amon Ross St. Brown and hopefully a healthy DeAndre Swift with Jamal Williams at running back. I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to see what TJ Hawkinson could do with that kind of firepower, what this tells me from a Lions standpoint is Jared Goff is just here to take a bunch of L's at this point, and the Lions are going to hope to either get C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young in there. Makes me wonder also if Dan Campbell is in the long-term plans at this point because while I like, while I like Dan Campbell and I like his fire and I like his attitude and I like his charisma, they got to start winning at some point. And the offense looks high octane and it jumped out to an early lead. And then it just, you know, it kind of loses its, I, I'm starting to lose my, you know, luster with Detroit. Are, are you worried that Dan Campbell maybe doesn't see it through there in Detroit? Maybe he's another Matt Patricia. I mean, I, I don't know what they expect to accomplish this season for the, for the remainder of it, you know, I can't imagine the front office is expecting to finish anything spectacular with the rest of this season. So I don't think he's going to be a midseason fire by any means. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm really confused on what this Lions front office is thinking for the future, whether Dan Campbell's part of it or not. I think the offseason will tell. But, I, I, yeah, I definitely think a young quarterback's in the mix um, – sometime soon you know they're, they're definitely going to have a high draft pick and there's definitely suitable quarterbacks coming out of this draft class you know the other trade i wanted to point out was the pittsburgh steelers not only did they trade away chase claypool but they also went and got corner william jackson who's been a little bit disappointing with the washington commanders and they brought him in william jackson broke out on the scene with the cincinnati Bengals, and then went and secured a massive payday from the commanders has it panned out the Steelers give up a middle round pick for him. I like the move from Pittsburgh standpoint, although I don't think Pittsburgh has the horses this year to be even remotely competitive. Pittsburgh's secondary is abysmal and it got absolutely lit up by Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown this past Sunday when Pittsburgh got trounced by the Eagles 35 13. I mean, they had to do something because, you know, if you know one thing about Mike Tomlin, he's not going to go down and just lay down. He's going to try and be as competitive as possible. So the, I, I like that trade from that standpoint. You know, there's a lot of other small trades we could discuss. We could discuss, you know, the Buffalo Bills bringing in Naheem Hines, you know, and I want to touch on that in the simple fact that a lot of people were surprised by it. Buffalo gave up Zach Moss to get Naheem Hines. And what I'll say about that trade is, if you look at one thing Buffalo doesn't have, it's an elite pass-catching running back. They now have an elite pass-catching running back to add to the elite wide receiver in Stephon Diggs, the elite deep threat in Gabriel Davis, the solid tight end in Dawson Knox, and then the semi-truck of a quarterback in Josh Allen. I We talked about your great picks. I think we might just need to hand Josh Allen the MVP at this point because not only did they route the Green Bay Packers, but they went – and got him just one more offensive weapon in a receiving running back in Naheem Hines. I mean, I'm telling you, man, I might be three for three on my hot takes. One, the Bills win the Super Bowl. Two, Josh Allen wins MVP. And three, Danny Dimes get that gets that contract extension. So we're gonna go that we're gonna we're gonna talk about how I was correct and Danny Dimes was gonna take the L against the Seahawks. And uh, you know, all I'm gonna say is I took I, I took your advice. I started Danny Dimes because, you know, I have Patrick Mahomes as my starting quarterback on my fantasy team. 
and he was on a buy this past week. And I saw Daniel Jones sitting there as a free agent, and I saw he was the ninth highest scoring quarterback you know, in ESPN leagues, as far as fantasy points go. And I heard your voice telling me he was going to earn a second contract. And I was like, well, if he's going to do it, he's going to have to go on the road against, you know, the 12th man out there in Seattle. And he's going to have to earn it. He got me a whopping nine fantasy points. He can take that second contract and shove it as far as I'm concerned right now, because Geno Smith for president at this point, man, you got any defense for why I shouldn't just bench Daniel Jones for the rest of the year at this point? Because you got Patrick Mahomes on your team. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying Daniel Jones is Patrick Mahomes by any means. I'm just saying Daniel Jones is the guy that can bring winning back to the Giants through his ability to lead that team on and off the field and kind of be the general of that offense. You know, I'm not saying he's no Patrick Mahomes or he's going to have ridiculous statistics throughout year in and year out. Um, so that's why you should uh, not start Daniel Jones over Patrick Mahomes. You want to get to these uh, college football playoff rankings that came out yesterday, man? Because I tell you what. I've been what, waiting. I've been waiting. I felt really good when I saw these rankings because it, I, I was a little annoyed with several things, which we'll get into. But the one thing I felt really good about, and I've been telling you guys this for the last couple of weeks now, is there is a legitimate case for the Tennessee Volunteers to be the number one team in the country. And I said this prior to them just absolutely demolishing Kentucky this past weekend. They went out and absolutely just dominated Kentucky, and they got what they deserved, which is the number one ranking in the initial college football playoff you know, rankings. I was a little bit surprised to see Ohio State cling to the number two spot. And here's what I will say. I know Ohio State needed a comeback win in the fourth quarter against Penn State to win it. They were down 21 to 16 going into the fourth quarter. They put up 28 points in the fourth quarter and won 44 to 31. That is insanity. That defense was dominant against Sean Clifford. And what this shows me is two things. Ohio State has a high-scoring offense that can score at will when it wants to. And it also has a resilient football team that when their back's against the wall, you know, in seasons past, Ohio State would have folded in this situation. And it would have gone from 21 to 16 to 45 to 16 because Ohio State didn't have that resiliency. They went on the road at Penn State and fought and they won. I loved it for them. I thought, though, that the committee might knock them a little bit. I was glad that they didn't. You see Georgia slide in at number three, which, you know, Georgia's undefeated, defending national champs. So you got to give them a little bit of love. But they've also struggled with teams like Kent State and Missouri. So I'm glad that the committee's recognizing that. Here's where I'm a little surprised. Clemson is at number four. And we've talked a little bit about, and you have made the case on TikTok, which I can't wait for you to, you know, expand on that Clemson strength of schedule is maybe not as strong anymore. Then you see Michigan right out there at five, which was a little surprising, but I'm glad that the committee's not giving Michigan too much love because when you play UConn, Colorado State, and Hawaii in your non-conference, I don't want to hear anything about strength of schedule. And I know Michigan fans are saying, well, Ohio State only played Notre Dame. Yes, at least we played a team with a winning record. Alabama's at six. That's my first gripe. Why is a one-loss Alabama football team ahead of an undefeated Power 5 TCU football team who has four wins against top 20 opponents? Makes zero sense. TCU should not be at seven. They should be at six. The SEC bias is real. I see teams like LSU at 10, Ole Miss at 11. Why is Ole Miss anywhere near the top 15? They just got absolutely trying. The SEC bias is real. I guess we'll start there. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the floor over to you because I know you've got so much to say about Clemson. Well, not even just Clemson. You know, I can go days on about Clemson and how I'm not a fan. But, um, I mean, we'll start with your last point there, you know, talking about the SEC bias. I mean, I've heard it on every social media platform. You know, the LSU ranked 10 is just a – is just to put Alabama back on that pedestal. You know, they beat a 10-ranked opponent to give them a little something, you know. And I see that, you know, I, I can kind of see that where they would do that for Alabama. But at the same time, LSU's been that sneaky team this year, dude. I mean, LSU's no slob. Now, they're not consistent enough to win every game or win the big games. But you got to look. LSU went into that Ole Miss game. Ole Miss was ranked seventh and beat them 45 to 20. Um, that's a pretty big win. Uh, they did get 
stomped by Tennessee, but other than that, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're a tenth ranked opponent or tenth ranked deserving, but they definitely should be. I, I would put them in like 13, 14, You know, as a two loss SEC team, I think would be generous. Um, Georgia, I think, I think the third spot's perfect. You know, you have a Georgia team who arguably has the easiest SEC schedule out of everyone, you know. I mean, they opened up against an Oregon team with a brand-new head coach, new uh, quarterback, uh, new transfers on that team, too, you know. So a lot of uncertainty in that game, and they blew the doors off of them, you know, and that was such an impressive win for a while. But then you you have that struggle against Kent State and Missouri where you're like, well, what's going on, you know. I mean, these those two teams are nowhere near anywhere competitive in the top 25. Um, but other than that, they've cruised through a lot of really horrible teams. You know, you have Auburn who's having a horrible year. You got Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's never good. Florida, a team that struggled this year. Their only other big opponent this year that they have other than the Oregon and maybe not even Kentucky anymore is this game against Tennessee this week. You know, this is the real testing point. They have them at home. That is a big benefit for them. They don't have to go to Tennessee. I wouldn't want to play in Tennessee uh, after watching that, about that Georgia. game. I want to talk about that Georgia and Tennessee game, though. So what happens if Georgia barely beats Tennessee this weekend? And I, I say this because they've got Alabama sitting there at six. The committee is primed to get a one-loss Alabama in the playoff. They're just going to do it. That's what the committee wants. They want Nick Saban. They want Bryce Young. But here's my – I say all this to say, if Tennessee and Georgia play each other this weekend and Georgia beats Tennessee by a field goal – Tennessee has to remain ranked ahead of Alabama. Am I wrong? No. If uh, if Tennessee beats Georgia this week, regardless of what they even do in the SEC championship, they've deserved a spot in the college football playoffs. And I, I've heard the, the favorite scenario now from people to spiral some conversation is, well, what if Georgia wins this game and then plays Alabama in the SEC championship game, Alabama wins, you got three one-loss teams, in the SEC where they have kind of this triangle of beating each other who gets in. I'm like, well, honestly, if you have this TCU team, who's undefeated in the big 12, big 12 chance, there's no way you can leave that team out and put all three SEC teams in there with probably Ohio state or Michigan, whichever one wins. And then you also got Clemson sitting out who might be an ACC championship who's uh, also undefeated. So it's, it's a big question. Well, and another one loss scenario that you've been, pitching around and it's something I want to bring up because the committee's starting to show, you know, this conference some love and that's the PAC 12 Oregon sitting there at eight with one loss USC's at nine with one loss UCLA's at 12 with one loss and Utah there with two losses is sitting there at 14 and the PAC 12 is finally getting some love. You also see Oregon state in there at 23 at six and two. So the PAC 12 getting some serious love. And I say all this to say, you've been really high on the Oregon Ducks lately and the Bo Nix hype. You know, I know that they have that terrible loss at the beginning of the year against Georgia, but if you take away the score, if Oregon finishes as a one-loss football team and their one loss is to maybe an undefeated SEC champ Georgia, there's going to be, you know, depending on what happens, let's say TCU goes on to lose a couple games and doesn't finish the season undefeated. Let's say Michigan, you know, doesn't make it to the Big Ten Championship, and Ohio State's an undefeated champ. And let's say Clemson loses a game but maybe still wins the ACC. There's going to be a road for a one-loss Pac-12 champion Oregon Ducks with their only loss being to an undefeated SEC champ in Georgia for Oregon to have, you know, a real shot at the college football playoff, in my opinion. Well, let me tell you, if Clemson's that one-loss team, who's Clemson losing to? It's probably going to be the Notre Dame game this week if they're losing to someone or in the ACC championship, which would be to probably North Carolina. Those don't look even comparable to losing to the national or the defending national champs. I like Oregon a lot, but I'm not sold yet. They have to win out. And that's a big ask in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is such a gauntlet on each other. Like I said, I preach, you'll never see an undefeated Pac-12 team make it through just because you got teams every year who are able to compete, who might not even be having that best a year. Um, but you can't tell me that if Oregon wins out and they have wins against a 12th ranked BYU, a ninth ranked UCLA, a 14th ranked Utah, 
a 23rd ranked Oregon State win on the road, which is a hard, I mean, playing at Oregon State is not easy. Ask you to see that one too. They struggled there. It, I can't see them. I mean, they have a great case. It would have to be four undefeated teams for Oregon to not have a case. And, and you're assuming too, if they win the Pac 12, they probably play USC. Uh, so, so you have to add USC there. That's a, that's a nice resume for Oregon. You know, Clemson also has to play South Carolina this year, and I know South Carolina is coming off a bad loss against Missouri. But I'm just interested to see if Clemson, you know, you brought up that Notre Dame game this weekend, and, you know, I told you guys, you know, watch out for Notre Dame pulling off the upset against Syracuse. Well, they went and they did that. I'm telling you guys again, watch out for Notre Dame pulling off the upset against Clemson. And I say that because Notre Dame seems to have figured some things out. Drew Pine seems to be playing a little bit better quarterback now. Um, you you really need to uh, watch out for Notre Dame at this point. And I tell you what, a lot, a lot can be forgiven if Notre Dame can pull up the upset against Clemson. Marcus Freeman can really right the ship and change the narrative on his first year as a head coach if he could pull off this upset this weekend. No, I like it. And this team that struggled offensively, they got to go on the road to, you know, Notre Dame is going to create the most hostile environment possible for him. So if they're going to have these struggles like they have at quarterback, what are you going to do when you got so many fans screaming at you and you're in away territory? You know, they've had some of these top ranked opponents at home, you know, and even, all right, so you played Wake Forest on the road. Wake Forest atmosphere in the middle of the day is not as big of a challenge as playing nighttime at Notre Dame. But also, I want to add to Oregon, too. Toby, what do you think Oregon's offense is ranked right now? Well, they've got Bo Nix at quarterback, who's been playing a lot better. But I have to feel like the running game took a dip when Travis Dye transferred to USC. You're saying in the country, what's Oregon's offense ranked? Out of, yep, yep, out of the country. With the defensive-minded head coach and Dan Lanning, I'll go f- – let's go 35, 35th in the nation. Man, you're giving them so much hate. They are the third-best offense in the country right now. They average 7.15 yards a play. Bo Nix has turned that offense around, dude. They are heating up. And, and the right time, too, you know, they're getting – they got this little bulk of schedule where they had some tough opponents. The UCLA game – Man, that was a great game to watch. Um, I thought UCLA was going to pull uh, that one from them, but and let's, let's let's be honest too. You know, Oregon. You talk about the high-powered offense, but they've got maybe the best linebacker room in the country with the tandem of Justin Flo and Noah Sewell. Both those guys are Sunday linebackers. Both those guys will be playing in the NFL. They just happen to start at the University of Oregon, which is not something we're accustomed to. The Pac-12 having hard-hitting linebackers, and you talk about you know, Wake Forest and you talk, we've talked about Syracuse and those were big signature wins for Clemson. And well, look who Clemson be. And you and I have obviously been banging the drum for Syracuse and for Wake Forest respectively. They both went out and looked abysmal this past weekend. And I'm not sure that it's going to change, you know, for either of those teams at this point, Syracuse is on the road at Pitt this weekend. And I, I'm a little bit scared about, you know, having to play Keaton Slovis on the road. So Wake Forest against NC State, there's a chance you could be looking at another loss there if you're Wake Forest in a less impressive resume for Clemson. And I say all that to say Clemson's strength of schedule is just not there anymore. It's, it's, it's not really there. I think Clemson's getting way too much love. I really think TCU needs to get more love in these rankings. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see Kansas State all the way up at 13 with two losses. Um, but Kansas State put it on Oklahoma State. But after a signature mark win that he had against Oklahoma State, you know, a team that we held in high regards for so long, you know, is a dominant top 10 team. And you put it on them 48 nothing. I mean, not only did you kill that defense, but you stopped their offense the entire game. I mean, that deserves a lot of love, in my opinion. And Kansas State, they're not a bad team. They're not a slob of a team. Watch what they do with Texas this week. Well, and I, and I agree with you. I think I was a little bit surprised mainly because if you look there at 16, you got Illinois. 
Illinois is a one-loss football team. They're seven and one. They get Michigan State at home this weekend, so probably going to move to eight and one. Especially after I don't know if you saw the debacle at the end of the Michigan-Michigan State game, where Michigan State just decided that they were, you know, going to go all UFC. Eight guys have been suspended indefinitely at this point, including a starting defensive back and Angelo Gross. So Michigan State's defense took a massive hit there. I expect Michigan State to look pretty rough the rest of the year. I mean, they already look pretty rough, but it's going to get even more rough at this point. So Illinois is probably going to be sitting at 8-1. and one, And Illinois has got a game coming up here soon against Michigan. i not saying that Illinois wins it. But actually, yeah, you know what? We're, we're, we're the podcast of hot takes. I'm telling you, Michigan's not going into Ohio State undefeated because they're going to get tripped up by the number one rusher in the country. They're going to get tripped up by the number one defense in the country, and Illinois is going to beat them. That's why I'm saying Illinois needs a little more love right now than just being at 16 in the country. Man, that's going to be a high rushing game then because you're going to have Blake Corm on the other side rushing the ball. And I'm a, I, I don't like Michigan, but Blake Corm, I have a lot of respect for that dude runs so hard. And he's hard to bring down. And I, I think the reason why Illinois, you know, is sitting at eight and one, um, favorites to win their side of the division is at 16. And I mean, you look at their wins, you know, there's no real impressive wins. I would say Minnesota is probably their best win as far as um, talent wise. And I mean, they've struggled. I mean, they played Iowa, they only won nine six, you know, um, and they've never really blown the doors off anyone this year but their defense has held guys I mean the most they've let up is 20 points to Indiana so their defense knows how to play so I that Michigan game will be interesting um and we'll see what they do but Illinois just hasn't proven themselves enough I think to jump in the rankings but a win at Michigan I I don't know how high they put Illinois you know I mean I the other you know reason I'm a little bit you know bullish on Illinois right now is because one spot ahead of them at 15 is Penn State Penn State's got two losses now, I know their two losses are against Michigan and Ohio State, and I respect that. But again, if you look at Penn State's record, their best win is probably either at Auburn, which is laughable at this point, or you know, at home against Minnesota. Their other wins, they only beat Northwestern 17 to 7. So, you know, I, I Penn State's on the road at Indiana this weekend. We'll see how they rebound after a really tough letdown you know, blowing that Ohio State lead. You know, I look at some of the other, you know, rankings and you've got North Carolina who we were early on in the year talking about how North Carolina barely beats App State, struggles mightily early on in the year and is Mac Brown and the Tar Heels just a joke. They're sitting there at 17th in the country, seven and one. And I know that there is this guy on North Carolina's roster by the name of Drake May freshman quarterback out of Huntersville, North Carolina, that you are dying to talk about. So, Logan, I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us why Drake May maybe needs to get into some Heisman talk. I mean, you compare his stats to, like, C.J. Stroud, but he, he's right there, and if not better in some categories. But, I mean, North Carolina is the favorite to be playing Clemson in the ACC championship. And let's say Clemson doesn't get better. They stay the same – team you know struggling on offense not sure what their image is there and they play this high caliber offensive team of North Carolina who's ranked eighth by the way in the country for offense they average over seven yards per play very explosive the least amount of points they put up in the game is 27 um I mean they blow the doors off anyone offensively now defense is a different story they have the quite opposite I think they are either the worst or like third worst defense in the country. I mean, their defense is just abysmal. They um, can't hold anyone. But if you play a team like Clemson, you know, I mean, you get a couple stops on Clemson and that offense is just going to keep rolling. I, I don't know that ACC championship game looks interesting and maybe they pull it off, but I think North Carolina still has a ways to go. They got to play at Wake Forest and they got to play NC State to in the year so we'll see what they do there if they can keep this winning train rolling or not you know we talk about drake may though for heisman i'm gonna i'm gonna give you hendon hooker stats i'm gonna give you cj stroud stats and i'm gonna give you drake may stats hendon hooker's got 2338 passing yards 21 touchdowns to one interception that's pretty darn impressive especially when you consider he's done it against teams like alabama um lsu florida kentucky so very nice from Hendon Hooker. There's a reason he's in the Heisman talk. C.J. Stroud, 
2,377 passing yards, 29 touchdowns to four picks. So he's thrown three more interceptions, but eight more touchdowns, doing it against defenses like Iowa that we've talked about, a very elite defense. We've heard C.J. Stroud. We've heard Hendon Hooker in the Heisman conversation all year. How many people have heard Drake May get brought up in the Heisman? Not a ton. But Drake May's got 2,671 passing yards, 29 touchdowns, and three interceptions. He's got the same amount of passing touchdowns as C.J. Stroud, eight more than Hendon Hooker. He's thrown one less interception than C.J. Stroud, two more than Hendon Hooker, and he's thrown for nearly 300 more yards than both of them. Put some respect on Drake May's name, people. I mean, it it reminds me a lot of Bailey Zappi last year, where Bailey Zappi was putting up Big, big, big numbers at Western Kentucky, but no one was paying attention to it. Drake May is kind of flying under the radar right now. We need to pay attention because, like you talked about, that offense is legit there for North Carolina, which is just kind of surprising Which with as bad as they started. Looking at the rest of these rankings, you know, we talked about Texas. We talked about we'll see what Kansas State does against Texas this year. Texas is the only three-loss team in the top 25 of the initial college football playoff ranking. And I think a lot of that has to do with that one point loss early in the year against Alabama. And the fact that they haven't had Quinn Ewers all year. Do you see Texas maybe pulling off an upset against Kansas state this weekend? Um, I wouldn't rule it out. You know I mean? Texas is one of those teams. They can show up and play any week. I think against anyone um, and make it competitive. Um, Kansas State's also a team, too, I see is streaky, you know, if they start struggling on offense and they just can't get it together and Texas just starts scoring and they can't keep up, you know, I can see it go either way. Um, so I don't think it's unrealistic to say that Texas could upset K-State. You know, we're missing one really big game this weekend, and it is Alabama's second loss of the season. Alabama's got to go on the road to LSU. This is what gets Alabama – I cannot stand Brian Kelly as a coach. I cannot stand listening to Brian Kelly. I I hate what he did at the University of Cincinnati. Um, I hate him even more after what he did at Notre Dame. But Brian Kelly, I will love you for the next week if you can pull off the win at home against Alabama. Because if LSU beats Alabama this weekend, we won't have to hear about well, how can Alabama get into the playoff? We can just put the nail in that coffin. And Alabama's got to go on the road at LSU, a very hot LSU team, an LSU team that's got the defense that put the clamps on that high-octane Ole Miss offense. Hey, give, give me LSU at home to pull off the upset. We've seen Alabama's not the same team on the road that they are at home, and this is arguably a more daunting road environment in Death Valley than you know at Rocky Top when they played at Tennessee. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, if you had a guess right now, what do you think the line is? Well, because everybody seems to uh, bend over backwards for Bama, I'm going to say Bama is, oh, let's go minus seven and a half. Bama is 13 and a half point favorites right now. They have Bama as a two, almost a two touchdown favorite on the yeah. road. And what tells me about this is they know for a fact that this ranking of 10 for LSU is to pad the stats and the, so you pad think the, the resume LSU for ranking, Alabama. You think the think, LSU ranking is just a bolstering for a resume for Bama to justify if, later If they on? think Alabama is a two-score better team than LSU, yeah, I, I believe so. So essentially what it would be because, you know, Ole Miss is also highly up there right now, another team that Alabama has got to play here in the coming weeks. Could the committee just be preemptively laying the roadblocks so that way when they put a one-loss Alabama in, they could say, well, hey, top 10 win against LSU on the road, nice win against Ole Miss, you know. Man, is, is the committee that – Because, like, we'll put it in this perspective, you know. I mean, there, it's a four-spot difference. That's like saying Ohio State's a 14-point favorite over Michigan, you know. I mean, or Alabama. I mean, what would you say to that? That line would be like, well, no brainer. I'm going to take the other side. It would, it would just be laughable to, I, I mean, it's crazy to think, you know, I, I would like to think LSU, Jaden Daniels, their Arizona State transfer at quarterback, has played really good football this year. Man, if I'm LSU, I feel disrespected by that. But it is, it is interesting to think. 
could the committee be playing a little chess while we're all sitting here playing checkers on how to get Alabama into the playoffs? You know, we talked a little bit about this Washington commander situation. You know, it was reported earlier that Dan Snyder has retained Bank of America to look into the potential and the possibility of selling the football team, selling the Washington commanders. Dan Snyder has been bullish for years saying I'm not selling them, but he was also bullish for years and saying I wasn't going to change the name from formerly the Washington Redskins, which I'm not even sure if I can say that name without, you know, being in trouble, but I said it. Um, And then they were the Washington football team, which I still think WFT is better than the commanders, but that's just my personal opinion. But now they're the Washington commies. And now Dan Dan Snyder's looking to sell the team. On top of that, we got the news that broke today that the federal government's investigating Dan Snyder and the Washington commanders for sucking at running a football team and sucking at reporting money. Does Dan Snyder even get the option to sell the team at this point, or is he just booted by the NFL? Well, it's crazy. You know, a few weeks ago, the flip script is I'm not leaving. I'm chained to this team. I have dirt on everyone, you know, and when I first heard this news without reading it, so I was like, well, did somebody get some bigger dirt on him? You know, like, did they flip it on him, flip the script? Um, you know, so I didn't know much to think about it because a few weeks ago, it was like dead set. He's staying no matter what, and he's going to go guns a blazing, but he seemed to have a complete uh, change of heart on this one. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you bring in the federal government, <laughs> um, you, you, you kind of change your mind on things. So I don't know. I don't know how much he had to change a heart or how much he's uh, just trying to uh, avoid angering very rich people at this point, because if you want this to go away, you might not want to tick off the rich billionaires in you know, this country. So we'll see what unfolds there in Washington. I want to, you know, preview some NFL games to close us out here. You know, there, there's going to be some good games this weekend. Uh, you, you look at that 425 window. And you've got two football teams that got to get a win going up against each other. The defending Super Bowl champs, the LA Rams, are three and four coming off a loss against the 49ers and just continuing to sputter offensively. It's been reported that they couldn't trade Cam Akers. Nobody, you know, they turned down a lot of offers for him. And now they're trying to get Cam Akers to come back to the football team and be their running back. So we'll see what unfolds there. But they're on the road at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are three and five. Tom Brady, we're not even going to address what's going on in his personal life, because I know you alluded to us feeling like TMZ. I'm not going full TMZ mode. I'm not talking about divorce on my podcast. I'm sorry, but Tom Brady is a divorced man and he is a three and five man. And he's also going through his first three game losing streak in his career. Who's going to win that game? I mean, who needs it more? I guess we'll start there. I don't think there's a team that doesn't. I mean, I don't think there's an answer to that question. They both really, really need that win. If you're asking me just straight up without looking into it, who's going to win that game? That's just the game that Tom Brady wins. You know what? That late afternoon game where it's opponent where you would look on paper and how Tampa Bay's played, and you're like, well, they're probably not going to win. Well, Tom Brady might just surprise you. Um, that's just my instinct telling me there. One game I want to uh, question here for you. So you got the Chargers going to Atlanta. If the Atlanta pulls off a win against the Chargers, would you solidify that Atlanta is now definitely the favorite to win that division, even though they are leading the division right now? Would you put Atlanta as now the new favorite to win that division if they can beat the Chargers at home? You know, if you would have asked me that last week, I would have laughed. You know, and I I say that because the Chargers just have too much, you know, talent. But now you have Mike Williams out. Keaton Allen re-aggravated the hamstring injury, so there's a chance he doesn't even play Sunday. Jalen Guyton's already out for the year, so they're going to be rolling guys out at wide receiver that you know aren't even aware that they're actually on the Chargers roster currently. So I, I'm not sure it's if Atlanta wins. It's how doesn't Atlanta win at this point? That high-powered offense, I know they had to go to overtime to beat the Panthers, but that's because P.J. Walker decided to uh, – dial it on back to hall of fame mode with some of the throws he was making, you know, we're not going to get into DJ Moore taking his helmet off. Should it have been a flag? Shouldn't it have been a flag, you know, but in my opinion, yeah, the Falcons, it's, it's going to be hard for them not to win that game. And who would have thought Mariota would have them at five and four. You talked a little bit about Brady though. And this is a game. He just kind of finds a way to win. I'm going to say this. 
I know the Buccaneers are three and five. I know the Buccaneers are on a bad losing streak. I know their offensive line is not very good. And I know that they just lost their star pass rusher and Shaq Barrett out for the year with a torn Achilles. Tom Brady is about to turn it on. Tom Brady is going to be angry about everything going on in his personal life being made public. Tom Brady is going to be angry that so many people have counted him out. And Tom Brady is going to look at the standings and say, there is no way in God's green earth that I am losing to Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota is not keeping me out of the playoffs. And Tom Brady is about to go on the run of his lifetime. I think the Buccaneers are about to put it on heavy on the LA Rams, the Jets and Bills. Who would have thought that that would actually be a game we should care about this late in the year? But I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is where we find out that the Jets are a bunch of posers. You know, the Jets, they, they looked awful against the Patriots. And Zach Wilson, the three interceptions he threw kind of solidified for me that he is not the long-term answer. I actually listened to a couple guys debate whether or not the Jets should consider starting Joe Flacco, which I found very interesting. But I think the Bills are about to take it to the New York Jets. I'm looking at a Sunday night football game that got really interesting. You and I just a few weeks ago had kind of wrote off the AFC South as being a competitive division. The Tennessee Titans have won five straight football games and are sitting at five and two and are going on the road Sunday night to Arrowhead to take on the five and two Kansas City Chiefs. Are the Chiefs in any sort of trouble here? I mean, I have to say there's got to be something to what Mike Vrabel is able to do as a head coach to keep this group, the Titans, going. I mean, if anything else, the Titans are definitely winning the division at this point, but do you think the Chiefs could be on upset alert this weekend? You know, if you would have told me, especially after the first like couple weeks, if you would have told me that the Titans would have won that division, I would have thought anyone else in the division would have won that division. That's how bad that division is. Um, so – I don't think they are. I think Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are going to show up, you know, and they're going to just control that game well, and they're going to get a win. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't see the Titans upsetting them. And you want to talk about the Jets. I, I completely agree. This is where – this is the ride. You know, the ride's over for the Jets this big. All their 6-1 team right now sitting well. You know, well, this is where it starts to take that dip. You know, this is where they're going to start losing game after game. Um, start questioning themselves, which they do have. I, I, I give the front office in New York a lot of credit. In the last two years, they have transformed that offense to have a lot of weapons, you know, and it's just ready for that quarterback who can lead them, who's young and able. Um, so right now, I don't think it matters who's at quarterback. Um, you just you, you got to find a way to keep that team intact for next year to hopefully find a guy who can lead them. You know, I'm looking at a line right now that I'm just absolutely baffled by, and that's the Seattle Seahawks on the road at the Arizona Cardinals. The Seahawks are five and three with impressive football being played this year. They're a legitimate five and three. They're not that poser level five and three that we've seen with the New York Jets. But the Seahawks are on the road at the three and five Cardinals, and the Cardinals are two point favorites right now. I don't understand that. I, I'm really high on Seattle. Maybe I'm too high on Geno Smith, but I love Kenneth Walker, too. Give me Seattle all the way. What do you think about that game? Sounds like a little trap to me, you know? It sounds like a, you hammer Seattle, and next thing you know, Kyle Murray put down Call of Duty for a couple of days, and he's turned it on. Um, you know, I, I, that's a that's a division game, you know, that is going to be a hard one, you know? They, Arizona sees a lot of Seattle, so they're going to be used to what they do, and they're going to be ready to play them. So I, I could see Arizona pulling off a win here. And despite how bad they've looked this year and how, um, yeah, I mean, no matter how many guys you add to their wide receiver core, it, it feels like they think the way they're going to turn their season around is by adding more and more talent to their wide receiver core. And it's just not working. You know, you got so many stars right now in that wide receiver room, AJ Green, DeAndre Hopkins, you got more now you have, well, you, you did have uh, Marquise Brown, but he is now out. But, you know, you just got so many guys. And they traded for Robbie Anderson, too. Don't forget him. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. I, I will tell you this. There's a game that I am feeling real bullish on, and that's the Cincinnati Bengals being seven-point favorites at home against the Carolina Panthers. I really, really, really like Carolina to cover the spread there. I'm not confident that they can win outright, but let me tell you, in P.J. Walker's two starts this year, I, I know that the game that he had to come in 
in relief of Baker Mayfield wasn't pretty, but in his two wins this year against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, you know, that loss last week against Atlanta, PJ Walker's playing really good football. And I think the Panthers are going to be really hungry after losing the way they lost last weekend. And for Cincinnati, the offense just looked out of sync. The offense didn't look without Jamar Chase, this offense is just not the same, which is depressing because you still have Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Hayden Hurst at tight end, Joe Mixon at running back. You would expect the offense to maybe not be as good, but, you know, at least passable, and it wasn't in that blowout loss on Monday Night Football against the Browns. I think the Panthers are going to cover that seven-point spread right now. And something I've been kind of thinking about on my own is – you know, I mean, Cincinnati is well known for holding on to guys, both coaches and players, past their time, you know, when they should have cut them. And I'm starting to think now, is Zach Taylor that good of a coach or does he just have that talented of a team where their full potential is not being tapped? I mean, you got to think about how many stars are on that team, offensively and defensively, you know. And I'm not a true – I'm not a Cincinnati fan by any means, but, like, if I'm a Cincinnati fan, I'm like, well, what, what's the issue here? You know, we, we are supposed to have a better offensive line. We had the same weapons. We had the same guy, you know. So, like, what's changed that we can't win games, you know, like we were last year? And so what I would be thinking right now is if Zach Taylor doesn't turn this thing around, is he gone? And what's scary is if you're a Cincinnati fan, you think about how long they kept Marvin Lewis as their head coach, how long they had to suffer through all those losing seasons and just – missing the playoffs year in year out are they hopefully they've learned their lesson and they won't hold on to a coach that isn't going to get it done for them but it's just one question I got to start to think is Zach Taylor the guy you know and if you take away the deep run they made last year that you know second half resurgence that they had Zach Taylor in the first part of last season people were already talking about should the Bengals move on should the Bengals fire him he makes a lot of questionable decisions that at times come back to bite the Bengals in the rear. And you talked about the offensive line. Everybody said, well, if they just invest in the offensive line, they'll look way better. Well, they did that. They went out and got a versatile offensive lineman who could play guard and center in Ted Karras, who was a starter last year for New England, had been a starter in Miami as well. You know, they went and they spent big money to lure Alex Kappa away from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a guy who had played with Tom Brady, had won a Super Bowl and was a very productive player. And then they brought in Lyle Collins, who was a guy that a lot of people were coveting. I know the Cowboys cut him, but I think a lot of that had to do with the contract and whatnot. Lyle Collins is a guy they bring in. And it still looks terrible. Now you've got guys like Eli Apple still in that secondary, and Eli Apple is just an abysmal football player at this point. It's I have to wonder if Zach Taylor isn't on a little bit of a hot seat with the Bengals sitting there at four and four. You know, one more game I wanted to cover, and I'll end with this game, and that's the Raiders and Jaguars. Then you might be asking yourself, why does anybody care about that football game? especially after the, Ra- after the Raiders got shut out by the New Orleans Saints last week. And that's why I'm talking about it. It's because the Raiders did get shut out 24-0 by the New Orleans Saints. And in that game, the Raiders, their star wide receiver, the guy that they spent, you know, all of this draft capital, all of this money to lure in, Devontae Adams, Derek Carr's college teammate, had one catch for three yards. That is pathetic, and it might be the reason that Derek Carr is not the starting quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders next year. And I also look at the Jacksonville Jaguars to say this. At some point, Trevor Lawrence has to put it together. I know he's only in year two, and I know they're going to give him about three years. But if Trevor Lawrence doesn't start to put it together and put it together soon, is Jacksonville potentially looking for another quarterback here in about a year or two? I don't, I'm not convinced that they have everything ready for him to take over, to take that team to the next level, you know. Um, I, I'm not sold on the weapons that he has to work with, you know. Um, I mean, you go out and get a guy like Christopher Kirk, you know, who, who's a talented wide receiver, but they pay him big money to be something that he's not, you know. Um, I couldn't even tell you who their tight ends are right now. I'm sure it's somebody. It's a. Uh... Dan Arnold. I know Dan Arnold's there. And the only reason I know Dan Arnold is because uh, D3 represent uh, Dan Arnold is a proud D3 football alum. So I uh, got to give him some love, but uh, uh, if, if they have other tight ends, I'm not aware that they exist. 
<laughs> and we, yeah, we and we know tight ends. Oh, Evan Ingram, Evan Ingram, Evan Ingram's yep. down there. The you know his uh, resurgency, right? And we know tight ends are such a crucial point to, for a uh, rookie or young quarterback. You know, somebody to help bail him out. And if you don't have anyone there, you know. Um, but Travis Etienne's been a blessing for him. He's been able to turn it on recently, and I think that's what's going to help Trevor Lawrence. You know, take some of that pressure away. Is you have Travis Etienne who can catch the ball and run it, and can also bust somebody in the mouth right up uh, the middle of the field. But I, I don't, I'm not convinced that they've given them all the ability to become their franchise quarterback. I, I think he's got to get a pass on last year a little bit because of how bad Urban Meyer's tenure was. And I think he got to give him about two, two and a half years with Doug Peterson because Doug Peterson is a well-respected offensive mind and obviously being a former NFL quarterback himself and the Super Bowl he won with the Eagles is going to buy him some time with Trevor Lawrence. But if we're sitting here this time next year and Trevor Lawrence still looks like this and the Jaguars as a team haven't taken a step forward, I think we got to start having the conversation on is Trevor Lawrence gone? We're already having the conversation on Justin Fields. We're already having the conversation on Zach Wilson. Um, Mac Jones already went through a little bit of a controversy, albeit a small one with Bailey Zappi. And Trey Lance, it's up in the air on, you know, how does he look when he comes back from the injury? And what do the 49ers do with Jimmy Garoppolo this year? Now that they obviously are bought into making a deep run here, trading for McCaffrey. I mean, there is a chance that we saw five quarterbacks get taken in the first round to, you know, a couple of years ago. And we, we could be talking two years from now and none of those five guys could have their fifth year option picked up. It, I mean, it's, it just goes to show the draft evaluation, quarterback evaluation, and really just in general NFL football is completely unpredictable. You know, we, we give our predictions, we give our previews, and on any given Sunday, anybody can beat anybody. It's, it's absolutely crazy, man. But that's all we got for you guys this time. Like we always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.